we mentioned last Lord's Day, one of the great tragedies of life is a misunderstanding. Because a misunderstanding causes so many of life's difficulties. People often misunderstand the things we say. They misunderstand our motives. They misunderstand our actions. And misunderstandings can cause a breach in lifelong friendships. Misunderstandings can destroy relationships. And yet, misunderstandings are common in our world today. In fact, they happen all the time, every day, numerous times a day. And one way you can be misunderstood is if you speak in formalities or you speak in technicalities. If you persist in using specialized technical jargon, you can easily be misunderstood by us lesser mortals. For example, this past summer, Mason had his third birthday. And would you believe that his parents bought him a velocipede for his birthday? Is that not shocking to you? What if I told you they bought him a tricycle? Same thing. It's technical jargon. It's, it's like the story I read about a lawyer in a personal injury lawsuit. He asked the plaintiff, he said, Now, is it true that you were shot in the lumbar region? And the man said, Oh, no, sir, we weren't in the woods at all. He said, Well, let me put it another way. I understand that you and the defendant over here were involved in an altercation. Oh, no, sir, he's not my tailor. Let me try again. Did he shoot you in the fracas? Oh, no, sir, it was closer to my navel that I got shot. You see, if you insist on talking in technicalities, you can be misunderstood. Well, one of the things that people often misunderstand about churches of Christ is our emphasis on restoration. We mentioned last Lord's Day in our lesson about the goal of restoration. And we used a story from Nehemiah chapter 8 about Israel restoring God's way of doing things. I want us to fully understand and I want us to be able to explain to others and realize this goal of restoration is what's important to churches of Christ. Attempting in our feeble way to restore God's original way of doing things. Now there's another example of restoration in the history of God's people. And it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And this story took place about 500 years or so before the example we used last week in the days of Nehemiah. David had not been on the throne of Israel long 
And he was thinking about the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant back in the story told in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Because that was when the news came to Eli that the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant, his sons had been killed in battle, and Eli fell from his seat and broke his neck. The Philistines had held on to the ark for seven months, more or less. Seven long, miserable months. A time when they were on the business end of the wrath of God. So since they were on the business end of the wrath of God, the Philistines sent the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Good move. But all this time, since then, it had been in storage. All during the reign of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant was in storage. But now David, the man after God's own heart, is on the throne of Israel. David's different from Saul. David's got a fire burning in his soul for the Lord. David's ambition was that Jerusalem would be the center of worship for the kingdom of Israel. But for that to happen, the Ark of the Covenant has to be restored to its rightful place. David knew that the Ark of the Covenant had to be in the tabernacle. Because you see, the glory of God rested on that gold-covered chest. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find there that it is moving day for the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in David's mind, if you're going to move something that holy, something that precious to God, you need something more than chucking a truck to move the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark represents the very presence of God. And moving it is a very important event in the life of the nation of Israel. So, David gathers all the chosen men of Israel. 30,000 of them in all, we're told. He puts together a band of musicians for the royal procession. They had harps. They had psalteries. They had timbrels. They had coronets. They had cymbals. Now there's the matter of how exactly are we going to transport the ark. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 3, it tells us that they set the ark of the covenant on a brand new cart. They didn't just get some random pickup truck that somebody had sitting around. I mean cart. They got a brand new cart. You see, David obviously attached a great deal of importance to the significance of this move. Well, if you remember your Old Testament history and your stories, as they transported the Ark of the Covenant, they crossed a rough threshing floor. And when they crossed this rough threshing floor, a man by the name of Uzzah, reached out his hand to steady the ark so it wouldn't fall. Well, you weren't supposed to touch the ark. And so when Uzzah reached out his hand, that angered God. 
And right then and there, Uzzah was struck dead. Well, at that point, we're told that David was displeased with the Lord. And David was also afraid. So they put the ark in storage for another three months. And you know what David used that three months for? David used that three months to do his homework. Because David found in the law of Moses specific instructions as to how the ark was to be moved. They're found in Exodus chapter 25, verses 12 through 15, and in Numbers chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 and 15. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Exodus 25 and verse 12. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain, shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Then in Numbers chapter 4, when the camp is to set out, Aaron and his son shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goatskin and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue and shall put in its pole. And then in verse 15, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these. But they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So David restored the practice as it was outlined in the law of Moses and brought the ark back to where it belonged. I'm reading now from 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. David built houses for himself in the city of David. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to Him forever. Now I'm skipping down to verses 11 through 15. Then David summoned the priests Zadok and Abiathar and the Levites Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Amenadab. And said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you, so that you might bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, 
to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek Him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses has commanded according to the word of the Lord. I want you to notice especially the last part of verse 13 and verse 15. Verse 13. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. Now listen to it. Because we did not seek Him according to the rule. And now verse 15. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles. Here it is. As Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. You notice what's there? Beloved, David confesses that when they tried to do it the first time, they didn't do it God's way. And he says then, they restored God's original plan. We did as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. You remember what we talked about last Lord's Day? What we have here is a pattern. A pattern of restoration. A pattern of restoring things to God's original way of doing things. And restoration is what is important to us. In the days of Nehemiah that we read about last week, they restored God's way of doing things during the Feast of Tabernacles. In this example, Israel restored God's way of doing things, moving the ark. We sincerely believe that God has in the New Testament a general pattern of beliefs and practices. Beliefs and practices every local church ought to follow. Now, don't start going through the New Testament and looking for them to be spelled out in one neat place and numbered for us. Because there's not one neat place where they're laid out and numbered for us like that. The pattern that God wants us to follow is in the overall teaching of the New Testament. And what we're committed to do right here is restore the general pattern God has given to the local church. We want to be right here at this place as close to the church of the first century as we can possibly be. We have in our hearts a burning desire to conform to the pattern of the New Testament. 
Just like the people of Nehemiah's day conformed to the feast pattern for the Feast of Tabernacles. Just like David conformed to God's pattern for moving the ark. We want to conform for God's pattern for the church and we pray that we're doing that to the best of our ability. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul lays down some rules for who could speak in the church assembly. Now remember the Bible when it was written was not originally divided into chapters and verses. That came later. And so the Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians, was a very lengthy letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. But if you look at chapter 14 and the latter part of verse 33, Paul says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. All the churches of the saints, Paul says. Dr. Moffat puts it this way. As is the rule in all the churches of the saints, women must keep quiet at gatherings of the church. You see, when it came down to who could speak in the assembly, the Corinthians were not allowed to make up their own rules according to culture. And they couldn't make up their own rules according to political correctness or society. It was not something that was subject to majority rule. It was not something that was subject to what was popular. And when Paul set the pattern there and said that women were expected to keep silent in the churches, he said, as is the custom of all the churches of the saints. As is the custom in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silence in the churches. Paul expected this, speaking in church, to be the same from one church to the other. That is, it was a pattern. Or let's look at another example in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas took their first missionary trip to Asia Minor. That is modern day Turkey. And in Asia Minor, along the way on this journey, they planted churches in cities such as Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Then later they moved over to a place called Derby, and they planted a church there. And then they decided to retrace their steps and visit the churches and strengthen the brethren in these churches. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23 tells us that on this return trip, they appointed elders in each church. They wanted to make sure that each congregation had elders. That's a pattern. And then there's another pattern you'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. That's where Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, 
so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. He tells the brethren at Corinth to lay by in store as they've been prospered on the first day of the week. Well, when he tells them this, where else has he said this? He says, this is what I told the churches in Galatia to do also. You see, Paul gave the Corinthian church the exact same instructions he had given to all the churches in the region of Galatia. Now, let's be clear and be honest. This idea of a pattern, it's, it's something that many, many people have never really given any thought to. But if we look at this from these few examples, what do we see emerging? There's a general pattern in the New Testament God wants us to follow. Put in other words, God wants some things to be the same in every congregation. And seeing that, you see the foundational belief that motivates us in this quest to restore the church to be like the church was in the first century. And the fact that we call for a restoration of New Testament beliefs and practices is indicative that we believe that too many of those beliefs and practices of the first century have been lost through the years. To be sure, most church groups today have lost some very important parts of God's pattern. The pattern revealed in this book that God has for the local church. Some groups are closer to conforming to the pattern than others are. That's a fact. Now having said that, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Because I do not want anyone to misrepresent me. I do not want anyone to misunderstand me. Stay with me. I want you to know I have the utmost respect for my friends, my neighbors, and those I love that are near and dear to me in various religious groups. While I might point out that many times some don't conform to certain parts of God's original pattern, I can assure you of this. 100%. There is not one, not one single holier than thou thought in my head or my heart. I know many people in various religious groups 
that are not conforming to parts of God's pattern that are good people. Some of them are better people than I'll ever be. And God knows that. I also know some people in churches of Christ that conform to God's pattern and at the same time have never in their heart understood what God said when He said, By this shall all men know you're My disciples if you love one another. I know people that conform strictly to the pattern. But they haven't learned that love God wants them to have. There are no delusions of perfection in my head concerning churches of Christ. In my humble and feeble way, and God knows it's feeble, I'm simply acknowledging the reality of the fact that God's original instructions can easily be lost. Because at the very beginning, what did we see? David. David was a man after God's own heart, and David had lost sight of God's instructions. Most of us, most churches of Christ, believe this New Testament contains a general pattern. A pattern for every local church to follow. And we're committed to following that pattern. Do we do it perfectly? <laughs> no. We follow that pattern to the best of our ability. And we follow that pattern to the best of our understanding. And we want to conform to that pattern. And our hope, our prayer, and our heart's desire is that others that want to follow Jesus would see the importance of that pattern also. That we could live, that they could see Jesus living in us and want to conform to the pattern. And that someday all of us could unite our hands and our hearts in a properly restored New Testament church. There are patterns for so many things, and we're going to get into more and more of these patterns over the next four weeks. And there's a pattern for becoming a member of the body of Christ. It was at the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter preached in Jerusalem in the audience of primarily Jews. And Peter told them about David. He was great, and he was dead and buried, and his grave is still with us. He said, but this Jesus you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And they said, what shall we do? Because you see, Peter touched them deeply in their hearts. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted and said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And they were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. You skip down to verse 47 of that second chapter and it says, The Lord added daily to the church those that were being saved. That's the pattern for being a Christian. 
That's how we surrender to the will of God and make Him Lord and Master of our lives. Is He Lord and Master of your life this morning? If He's not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. Do you need to make changes? Can we help you make those changes? This is your opportunity to come and let those requests and desires be made known as together we stand and while we sing.